Well, good morning again, everyone. I hope you all are doing well. It's glad, I'm glad to have you this morning. Good, good to have you here. Um, before I get started, I just wanted to um, piggyback off something Dylan said uh, about our last in-person service. Uh, it's bittersweet for sure. Like, I wish, I wish we could meet on Christmas Eve and, and celebrate that together. Um, unfortunately, it's not possible for other circumstances, but I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying that it will be a very sweet time for you and your family where there's no rush to get anywhere and do this and do that, but it'll just be like you guys are together and you're able to enjoy the moment, enjoy the day. So that's what my prayer is going to be for all of you um, for this coming week, next Sunday, you know, the week after all of it. It's just going to be a sweet time to celebrate with your family. So um, we have been in a series called The Carols of Christmas, where we've been unpacking some of the traditional Christmas carols that we sing every single December. And first week, it was O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And we kind of looked at where it originated from the Latin. And I didn't know how to pronounce any of the Latin words. So I didn't, I just put it up there for you guys to decipher on your own. And then last week, Pastor Jason uh, unpacked joy to the world and just um, brought a powerful word about, about the ability to have joy in the midst of, of sorrow and, and, and hard circumstances. And, and today, uh, as you could have probably guessed, we are going to look at the Christmas carol, We Three Kings. Uh, and so I want to go over some of the lyrics again with you before I uh, jump into the message. So, so, we three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again, king forever, ceasing never over us all to reign. When I was a kid, I went to a Catholic elementary school. Uh, to be precise, Father James B. Hay Catholic School. And um, I went there from kindergarten to fifth grade. And every single December, we put on a Christmas cantata. Now, if you don't know what a cantata is, it's a musical composition that tells a story. And so basically, we're just telling, we were telling the Christmas story through singing the Christmas carols, and we would act it out a little bit, that kind of thing. But it was basically just a concert um, of us singing Christmas carols. And so uh, I remember one year, I had the honor of being one of the three kings. Um, I think I was probably like seven or eight years old. And um, they, they chose me to do it. They told me, they voluntold me that I was going to do it. Um, and I got to do this song, me and two other boys my age. And I can, I can remember it very vividly. I got to wear like this makeshift robe. And I got to wear like these really janky crown. And we, we were holding gifts that resembled gold, frankincense, myrrh. And I remember like the night of the, the performer, the cantata or whatever, we had to walk from the back of the auditorium up to the stage singing. And I remember I was so shy. I didn't want anyone to see me, but all eyes were on me. And I was so shy that I was barely audible. I couldn't hear me singing. And so um, I, it's a vivid memory. I'll remember it probably forever. 
Um, and I used to know all the words because we practiced it so much. We had to know all the words. I used to know all the words, but I had no idea the depth of what they meant. I had no idea um, their, their meaning at all. Um, so I wanted to share with you a little bit of the backstory, a little bit of the history of this carol before we get into the scriptures. So We Three Kings was the first Christmas carol originating from the United States that was like widespread popular. It, it was super success. It was so successful, it made it into Christmas carol books in the United Kingdom. Like uh, the UK, uh, Europe, they, they, like all the Christmas carols that we know, most of them originated from there. Well, We Three Kings is the first from the United States to make it into their, their books. Um, it was included in the Oxford Book of Carols, published in 1928, uh, and it was praised as uh, one of the most successful modern composed carols. So it's like this, this Christmas carol is like really, a really big deal, right? Um, for those unfamiliar with the liturgical calendar, um, the 12 days of Christmas isn't a countdown to get us to Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas actually start on Christmas Day, and it's a countdown to the epiphany. If you don't know what the epiphany is, uh, the epiphany is the revelation as Jesus uh, being the Messiah by the wise men. So um, 12 days from, from December 25th, 12 days after that is the epiphany, and that's when uh, scholars and theologians believe the wise men made it to Jesus and that kind of thing. And so that's, that's what the 12 days of Christmas is all about. That's what this whole, this whole Christmas carol is about. It's about the epiphany and, and realizing, wow, we are in the presence of God on earth. And the imagery of the star is central to the epiphany season, right? It's, a, it's central to the narrative. The refrain focuses on the star, and it invites us to join the Magi in following its light, right? Guide us to thy perfect light. Today, I want to look at the scriptures that inspired this Christmas carol. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you um, for all you're doing and everything you're up to. And I just pray, God, that today that you would teach me something new about your character. Teach me something new about who you are. Teach us something new about who you are and what you have for us, God. We love you. We, we dedicate this day to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Um, Whenever I preach, I say this a lot, whenever I preach, I preach from a perspective of there and then. If you don't know what that means, uh, this is what that means. For us to understand how the Bible applies to our lives here and now, we have to understand what was going on there and then. To understand the words of the Bible, I believe we have to understand the world of the Bible. And, um, and to understand the Bible, sometimes we have to connect some dots. And that's what I want to do right now. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up or turn them on to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I'm serious. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 4. It's in the Old Testament. It's, uh, one of the, it's the fifth book from the front. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 4. And in verse 19, it says this. When you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. Worshiping them. So this portion of scripture, like God was, 
Basically, all of Deuteronomy is God teaching his people, this is how I want you to live as my people. Okay, this is how I want you to live. And, and in this portion specifically saying, don't look up to the moon and stars and worship them. Like, we're not doing that. Like, you worship me. Those are just things. I'm God. Like, focus on me, right? It was common. It was common back in that day for people to worship the sun, to worship the moon, to worship the stars. And God said, we're not doing that. You worship me. Those are just things, right? So that's, that's um, kind of what's going on there. Like, God even goes, like, to the extent of, like, in Genesis, when, it, when God is creating, it, it doesn't say that he created the sun and the moon. It says that he created a big light and a little light because um, the words for sun and moon were Egyptian gods. And so God wanted to make it very clear, like, we're not doing this many gods thing. I'm, I'm the one true God. You worship me. And so that's what this is. It's a warning against idolatry. It's a warning, like, make sure you're not seduced into worshiping anything else, okay? So flip a few pages to the right. Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 9, says this. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, Never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering, which was common. And do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. This is another uh, portion of scripture where God is calling his people to live a certain way, okay? He's saying everybody else does these things, we're not going to do that. You're, we're, we're not going to do the sorcery. We're not going to do the fortune telling. We're not, we're not doing that stuff. Okay. Uh, fast forward a few books in the Old Testament um, to Daniel chapter 2, verse 27. It says this, Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. So to give you a little bit of context, in, in this part of the book of Daniel, God gave the Babylonian king a dream, and he couldn't understand it. And he called in all these wise men, enchanters, magicians, fortune tellers to try to interpret the dream, and they couldn't. And, and Daniel's saying, no, those people aren't going to be able to do it because God doesn't work the way you think he does. Like, God doesn't, God doesn't put his message in animal sacrifice. God doesn't put his message in human sacrifice. Or God doesn't put his message in the stars. He's going to speak directly to us, right? God says, I don't work that way. I don't operate that way. Um, it was pretty common. Uh, side note, it was pretty common for... Um, non-Jewish people, like if they wanted to determine the will of the, the gods, they would sacrifice a sheep, they would pull out the sheep's liver, and then they would, based on the size of the liver, based on the shape, based on like the fatty deposits, like they could discern the will of the gods. And, and like that was common. That sounds really silly to us, but that's how they did things. And God's saying, I'm not doing that. Like, I don't want to speak to you that way. I'm gonna, if I'm going to speak to you, I'm going to speak directly to you. And so um, these are three examples amongst many in Scripture about how God feels about um, reading signs, about how God feels about astrology and reading the stars, right? He's like, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm not doing it. He's 100% against it. He doesn't want to use stars or, or other means like that to communicate with us. He wants to speak directly to us. Pastor Ryan, what on earth does this have to do with Christmas? It actually has a lot to do with Christmas. 
Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to, into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So this this portion of Matthew chapter 2 is the inspiration for the Christmas carol that we just read, We Three Kings, right? And, and like I said, We Three Kings is one of the most popular, it's one of the most widespread, it's one of the most successful modern composed carols. Um, today, I want to look at some of the specific elements of We Three Kings in order to understand the Christmas story fully, in order to understand what was really going on, what, the, the complete picture that scripture is trying to paint for us. Um, the first element of the song that I want to look at today is the wise men in the song. The, the wise men, right? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, there are a few different titles used to describe these people, right? Wise men in scripture. The song calls them kings. And then some people call them magi. Now, um, traditionally, they've been given the title kings because of the gifts that they brought right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. These gifts were extravagant. These gifts were rare. These gifts were expensive. So expensive that it was thought that the only people that could afford them was kings. So thus, we three kings. And they, there's actually not, in scripture not an amount of, of these wise men um, like identified, right? There's, there's not three wise men. It doesn't say that. It just says wise men. The song says three wise men because there's three gifts. So like we three king, you know, that, you know, you can see where the dots connect, right? So anyways, wise men, kings, magi. And, and we know them as, as kings because of, you know, I just got there. But in the original language of the Bible, they are called magi. And this title is far less known than king, right? Um, so what is magi? Magi is a name for a Persian magician in, in ancient Babylon. Um, when, when I say magician, I don't mean like card tricks and pulling rabbits out of top hats and making people, making things disappear, right? That's not what I mean by a magician. When I say magician, I mean like, like priestly. They, they were in charge of, of 
the, the sacrifices. They were in charge of the temple. They were in charge of trying to hear from the gods, trying to please the gods. They, they conducted all the religious ceremonies. So the magi were non-Jewish pagan priests, essentially. Okay? And these magi were the first people in the world to recognize the birth of the Messiah. These non-Jewish pagan priests that practiced fortune-telling, they practiced sorcery, they, they practiced astrology, they were the first ones to recognize the birth of the Messiah of a God they didn't even serve. This is a big deal. God announced the arrival of his son to people who didn't even know him. God announced the arrival of a savior to people who weren't even looking for him. And what did scripture say? It says that they rejoiced exceedingly when they found the infant Messiah. And it says that they worshiped him. They fell down and they worshiped him. Again, these are non-Jewish pagan priests who God announced the birth of Jesus to. And they're the first ones to recognize Jesus for who he is. Savior, King, Messiah. Now, it's important for all of us to, I think it's important for us to understand that these magi, um, these, these Persian magicians, they practice divination. Now, if you're asking what divination is, a really uh, nerdy word, stick with me, I promise it matters. Divination is this, the practice of seeking knowledge of the future or the unknown by supernatural means. Now, in the world of the Bible, people believed that the gods wrote their will in nature and that to, to discover the will of the gods, you had to, you had to um, like practice animal sacrifice or human sacrifice or you had to read the stars just the right way. Like I said about the liver a little bit ago, like you had to read the liver the right way and, and um, like that's, that's what divination is. And, and these pagan diviners... Um, they were masters of, of this, of reading the stars. They were masters of this, like, th these rituals, right? Like, you would go to school for it. And even, like, today, like, astral divination is still practiced today. That's what Zodiac is. That's what, like, the horoscopes and, like, that kind of thing. That, it's astral divination. Um, it's reading the stars to determine the will of the god. Um, this is is a thousand thousands of years old practice right now remember back to where we started a few minutes ago in deuteronomy god told his people i'm not going to talk to you that way you're going to look at the start that's not how i'm going to talk i want to speak directly to you i want to speak directly to you but god worked that way with these magi he spoke to the magi through the stars through their divination practices he revealed the birth of the Messiah. If you're asking why right now, that's the correct question to ask. Why would God do that? That's, that's the correct question to ask, but, but I will answer it in a little bit. Um, just know, like, God went outside of what he, the, the system he set up to reveal that his son had come. So that's the first element of the song is the wise men, who they are and, and what they were about. The second element, the next element I want to look at today is from the east, that term from the east. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. This might not seem like a big deal to us at all. When we hear from the east, we think of compasses and maps, right? We think of somebody coming from the eastern part of a map, but... 
to the people in the world of the Bible, from the east meant something way more significant. It was something way more spiritual than just they came from the east side of the world, right? In the world of the Bible, there's a spiritual significance to the east, and the, the audience that Matthew originally wrote to would have understood completely what that meant, from the east. In the world of the Bible, everyone believed that all truth and goodness came from the east. All wisdom and knowledge and anything moral came from the east. And these wise men were like the gold standard of truth and morality and goodness and knowledge and wisdom. So when it says that wise men from the east came searching, that is, that is a big deal. And people in the world of the Bible reading that would have been like, what are you what? Like, that would have been a mind blower for them. Like, again, we read that, and it's not a big deal. Oh, great. They're from, you know, Bowers Beach. They, they came this way, right? Like, no, that, that's, that's not what it, The gold standard of human beings as far as knowledge and wisdom and love and goodness, they're coming westward to search for knowledge and love and goodness and wisdom. Is a big deal. These magi, these wise men, they were seen as the most wise, the most respected. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 30, it says this. In fact, his wisdom exceeded his wisdom being um, King Solomon. He's one of the kings of Israel. In fact, his, king, his, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. Again, we read that, and that's not a big deal to us. A Jewish reader would have read that and been like, Solomon's wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the East? Oh my gosh. Like, you know, so it's like a huge deal, right? From the East signified all truth, all goodness, all wisdom, all knowledge. These magi were seen as the most wise, most respected, and yet these most wise, most respected men from the east are traveling westward to find the Messiah of God to, uh, who, who, who God sent to save the world. They traveled westward to present gifts to this baby. They, they left all their truth. They left all their knowledge. They left all their goodness. They left all their wisdom to find the source of truth, to find the source of goodness, to find the source of knowledge, to find the source of wisdom. So to read, to read this, wise men from the east, as these are just some guys who, who came from the east part of the map, that's reductionist and oversimplified. It's way, way bigger than that. It's way more than that. Like I said, these are the, this is the world's gold standard of wisdom, truth, love, goodness, and they leave behind everything to find this Messiah sent by God. It's a shift in, in worldview. It's, it's redefining reality. It changed everything. This is a big deal from the east. So the first element was the wise men. The second element was that they're from the east. The third element of the song that I want to look at today is the star of Bethlehem. The star of Bethlehem. Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced. As you could have guessed, the star is a significant part of the story. Um, the star isn't just a star. The star is not just a star. Uh, 
The Gospel of Matthew is the only gospel to reference a star, to, to identify a star. Um, and, and in these, these, the, the chapter that, you know, chapter two where, where it talks about the star, in, in that portion of scripture, there's no mention of anyone else seeing the star. There's no mention of, of anyone else following the star. It's the magi who see it. It's the magi who identify it. It's the magi who follow it. And, and the star led them to Christ. The star signifies salvation for all humanity. The star is not just a star. The star represents salvation for everyone. The star not only showed the way to the Magi, showed the Magi how to get to Jesus, but the star also communicated to King Herod, hey, the Messiah is here. The King of Kings is here. And, and that, it shook him. It shook King Herod. And, and he, he told the, the wise men, he said, hey, when you find him, let, let me know where he's at so I can worship him too. His plan was to kill him. His plan was to kill little baby Jesus. And, and he, was, he was shook. That's what the star represented, that the Messiah had come, a far greater king than Herod was. But how did the wise men come to know like, how did they come to the conclusion that the star pointed to the king of the Jews? It's, it's not just like they see the star and like, oh, that's from the God of the Jews, right? Like, there, there had to be something that, that, like, they knew or were looking at or, like, something that came to mind that, like, helped them understand. We can't say for sure, but, but we, can, we can probably extrapolate that um, there were certain prophecies these wise men knew Certain Jewish prophecies these wise men knew. Because remember, they're Persian, which means they're like from the area of Babylon. Jews were captive in Babylon for almost 500 years. And they would have held on to the prophecies in scripture for hope. So over 500 years, you can safely assume, in my opinion, that these Jews would have they probably would have made, made these prophecies known to everyone around them. And so it was probably pretty well known in the region of Babylon, the prophecy of the Messiah for the Jews. One of these prophecies being in Numbers chapter 24, verse 7. This is a prophecy um, that was given before they went into exile. So this is one of the prophecies they're holding on to. Numbers 24, 17, it says, I see him. But not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. Jacob is another way to say Israel. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. A star and a scepter pointed to a great ruler. A star and a scepter pointed to a great ruler. And Israelites, again, Israelites in captivity in Babylon, they would have clung to this prophecy. He's coming. He's coming one day. He's coming. And they, everyone around them probably would have known about it. It would have rubbed off on everyone around them. The star wasn't just a star. The star is a symbol of salvation for all humankind. The star was also associated with kingship. It was associated with Messiah. It was associated with the Jews. And with this information, the wise men left everything to go to Jerusalem in search of the newborn king of the Jews. Uh, Chelsea and Heather, can you guys come up for me, please? So to recap, recap, in Deuteronomy, God says no astrology. 
I will not talk to you that way. We're not doing that. We're not playing that game. No horoscopes, no Zodiac, none of that. No constellations. Like, I don't do that. But fast forward to Matthew, and we see these non-Jewish pagan priests who God led to Jesus by reading the stars, by, ast- by astrology. What is going on with that? Is God a hypocrite? Did he forget? No. I think something else is going on. In my opinion, when Matthew wrote this, he was going for shock value. He was trying to shock his audience. He was trying to communicate. God is going to start working in ways you, didn't, you couldn't even imagine. He's going to work in ways that you had no idea he was capable of working. He's going to do things that you couldn't even believe to be true. Matthew, the, the author of the Gospel of Matthew, is trying to make a larger point. It's a theme that runs through Matthew. He's trying to make a larger point that God sent his son as a Messiah to Israel, and Israel missed him. God sent his son as a Messiah to Israel, and they rejected him. They, they looked past him. They said, nope, you're, you're not it. We're waiting for something better. They didn't recognize him. The leaders of Israel, they should have known better. They should have seen the, the arrival of Messiah coming. They, they missed it. And yet these royal astrologers from a long ways away, they see it. They acknowledge it. They embrace it. They receive him as Messiah. They receive him as king. This is a fulfillment of, of prophecy in the Old Testament. Um, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21, it says this, They, Israel, roused my jealousy. This is God talking. They have roused my jealousy by worshiping things that are not God. They, Israel, have provoked my anger with their useless idols. Now I will rouse their, Israel, jealousy through people who are not even a people. I will provoke their anger through, a, through the foolish Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. God said all the way back in, in Deuteronomy, my people are going to miss it. My people aren't going to embrace it. My people are going to reject it. And you know what? I'm going to use other means to reveal my Messiah. I'm going to speak it to people who actually will listen, who actually will embrace it. I'm going to use someone else. I'm going to use other people who don't even know me. So what is We Three Kings truly about? It's about recognizing the coming Savior of the world. It's about recognizing the birth of the Lord of all creation. It's about embracing him. It's about being ready for what God wants to do. Are you ready? Are you ready for what God wants to do? Are you ready for what he wants to do in your life? Are you ready for what he wants to do in your family? Are you ready for what he wants to do in your workplace? Are you ready for what he wants to do in uh, your community? Is he, are you ready for what he wants to do in, in, in our schools? Are you ready for that? Are we ready for the coming Lord, the coming Messiah. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we love you. We thank you that, again, God, you made a way for us to get to you. We thank you, God, that you've come 
You've come to show the way. You've come to to bring us peace. You've come to save us. You've come to, to rescue us from the grip of death. And God, I want, I want to be ready for what you're doing. I want to be ready for where you're leading. I, I pray that we as a church, we would be ready for your, your spirit to lead us. We would be ready. We love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name. What I want to do right now is I want to just take a few moments to just reflect, just just think about what we just heard. Just um, allow the Holy Spirit to speak. You can worship if you want. You can pray. You can sit. You can think about what, whatever, whatever. I, I, but I want us to take some time to respond to the Spirit of God moving and, and, and speaking to us. And so the worship team is going to lead us in this song, We Three Kings. And um, don't just blow through this moment and, and so we can get on to the next thing. Let's, let's allow God to do what only he can do right here, right now. So you can stand if you want. Um, you can stay seated if you want. But let's, let's respond to the Lord this morning. Worship team, lead us. sing rejoice just just the the voices can we sing rejoice rejoice Emmanuel rejoice rejoice Emmanuel shall come to Thank you, God. Thank you. You you were thinking of me when you sent your son. You were thinking of us when you sent your son. Thank you. Thank you. I pray, God, that by your spirit we would never forget what this, what this season is about. By your spirit, God, you would bring to mind every day what Christmas is all about. It's about recognizing Jesus as Lord. It's about recognizing Jesus as Savior. Thank you, God. I pray blessing on my church family today as they go. I pray blessing as they go in into the the madness of, of the next week of, of the holiday season, the Christmas season. And I just pray blessing on their families, God, that you would draw them closer together than they've ever been before. Give them peace in this, in this time. Give them peace in this moment. God, I pray for peace. Peace for those who are, are, are without family members this this Christmas, whether they've gone to be home with you or, or they're just away from their families, I pray peace. I pray, God, that you would, you would draw them near to yourself. Your word says that you're near the brokenhearted, and so if there's anybody 
in our, our church family who's brokenhearted this Christmas season, I pray, God, that you would draw near to them in a special way. We love you, God. We thank you. We praise you. All the glory and honor is yours, Jesus. It's yours. It belongs to you. Love you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Really quickly, before we're dismissed, I have a couple next steps. This week, I want, you, I want to challenge you to reread Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and I want you to meditate on what it means to recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then uh, next Sunday, join us for Christmas Eve uh, on the live stream. There, it'll be on uh, Facebook, and it'll be on YouTube as well. So um, find a way to join us, and we would love to worship together at home. So. Um, let me say one last prayer and then we can be dismissed. God, thank you. We love you. Um, and finally, God, maybe the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of my church family in this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday, guys. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great week. We will see you uh, January 7th. We'll see you then. Love you guys.